Fox Sports is the home of Australian rugby, and this is the official Fox Rugby Podcast with your host, Nick McArdle. Thank you, Greg Clark. And it is terrific to be back with you for another Fox Rugby Podcast. Also welcome this week to Christy Doran and Sam Worthington from foxsports.com.au. Gentlemen, uh, welcome along. And Christy, every time I see you over the last week or so, you've, you've worked up a sweat. You're in these bizarre little running shorts with your spindly legs. What's going on? What spindly legs? Yeah. Thanks very much. Yeah, that's probably a fair way to describe describe them. Hairy too, disgustingly mm. hairy. Uh, look, a little bit of a lie because I haven't been sweaty once right. over the last couple of weeks and yeah. I really haven't been that sweaty for, for months. I've got a, uh, a marathon on yeah. Sunday, Great Ocean Road, so looking forward to going down to Melbourne and with you and seeing the, the Rebels play the Bulls on Friday night. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's been very limited preparation mm-hmm. uh, this time round. Right. It's uh, marathon number two, though, of course, and I am told there's a, a special piece of equipment that you've invested in, a new a new visor, which could potentially take 15 to 20 minutes off your time. <laughs> a visor? <laughs> yeah. My, my, look, my brother thinks I look a little bit Ian Poulter-esque with it on, um, right. on the golf course, but I have. I think it just allows for a little bit less body heat and... Um, right. It's been a it's been a great purchase could for I, twenty bucks. Could I suggest that with your receding hairline, that maybe a full cap might have been the way to go? If it's a sunny day, really, you should be sun smart and go the full cap. Maybe a hair graft from his body to the head. Mm. <laughs> so, all right. Actually, speaking of Melbourne, I've been asked to uh, assure all front rowers on Friday night that I will not be kissing them after the game. Yes. But, um, that was a big move. It was a little a, bit controversial. What, yeah. a, what a highlight that was. Was that spontaneous or had you, had, had you lined up the big fella from No, Lionel? no, no. It was, it was spontaneous. I, I just felt an overwhelming yeah. need to express my birthday wish to Taniella and oh, was, I think he was slightly shocked by it, that. It was genuinely hilarious for anyone that hasn't seen it. Uh, you can probably find it on, on Twitter or on our website as mm. well. But uh, just the, he was genuinely down in the dumps. It was my birthday. All my score to try. We lost. And then uh, that little cupcake, uh, just I've, I've never seen her. Well, I've only seen her on probably four or five-year-olds, the, the immediate uh, uh, emotion change. What you didn't see was Brad Thorne standing behind the camera about 15, 20 metres away and spotted Taniella eating a donut, which I don't <laughs> think went down particularly right. well. Actually, not eating a donut, inhaling a donut. Yeah. Um, yeah. That didn't go down well with the with was, the coach. was that a donut? Or was it technically? Mm. It looked like a cupcake. No, no, it was a it was a donut. I can describe it in detail. Did you pick it up personally? I did. I went to Seven right. Eleven. Um, it was a donut with um, <laughs> big spender, with, nothing with but the best. sprinkles, yeah. with with hundreds and thousands. But the hole in the donut was filled with with cream. Wow. Mm. Ah, okay. Surely mm. even uh, Big Bad Brad would allow a little birthday treat for the Thor. Happy birthday to Taniella yep. for the weekend. And he played well too, didn't yeah. he? he? Absolutely really did. did. Well, good win for the Rebels. A bit unfortunate for the Reds and, mm. and Taniella, but uh, moving along. Well, speaking of the Rebels, we'll be chatting with uh, their captain, Dane Haylett-Petty, uh, very shortly on the podcast and uh, looking forward to catching up with Dane in his return from... Injury, and he looked like he'd never been out the last couple of weeks. He's he's come back and uh, hit full fitness and full form very quickly, hasn't he? Yeah, like the, there has been a lot of debate about uh, who should replace Israel Flowers, assuming that he will not be um, in the Wallabies 
jersey this year. And, and like Tom Banks and Kurtley Beal, very good players. But to me, it's 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 a no-brainer. He's got just that all-round skill set, mm. uh, particularly in, in big match pressure, um, under the high ball, etc. Leadership. But uh, I think he's the the obvious candidate there. Just going to say that about his his calmness, his uh, ability. Yes, soothing South African accent. You know exactly right. But but in a in a World Cup environment, and we keep forgetting about the Rugby Championship, the abbreviated Rugby Championship ahead of the World Cup, but I just think in a World Cup you need that cool head, particularly at, at the back there. I, I just think that, uh, and particularly, you know, there might be a few fresh faces in that team too, some experience, and it'd be a good selection at fullback. Look forward to debating that uh, after we speak to him, perhaps. Exactly right. Um, now, the other thing that uh, happened across the weekend, on Super Saturday, we managed to get Australia's new director of rugby, Scott Johnson, in for about half an hour on Saturday afternoon. And I've got to say, it was um, refreshingly uh, open and honest and almost inspiring. It was just terrific to sit and listen to some positive rugby chat and uh, obviously some fresh blood coming back into the system and not scarred by perhaps the last couple of years in Australia. And um, yeah, it sort of left a lot of people, I think, feeling a lot better about the game. Yeah, great to have an in-depth chat and to have him open and willing to talk uh, because... Yeah, he'd obviously been out of the country for a long time and we weren't exactly sure what his philosophies are, what, what, what the vision is. Um, he'd, he'd done a couple of media ops before, but um, yeah, there, there was mixed reports coming out of Scotland as well about, you know, he kept a pretty low profile there, I think, towards the end. But uh, yeah, I, I think if you're going to hire this guy on, on big money, I think he yeah needs to be out there talking, explaining his vision because there's so much angst out there. And, and like you say, he was very, um, very lucid, uh, just good common sense and... Uh, yeah, I think as Greg Martin pointed out, this it all goes to custard a bit if the team doesn't win. Um, sure. They're intertwined, but for the time being, there should be a honeymoon period. There should be um, time to, to listen to listen to what he's selling and and, um, and get on board, yeah. Yeah, the clarity was, was what stood out to me, the clarity of vision, but just how well he articulated it too. I think often you listen to Michael Checker, and at times I find him really engrossing to listen to, but at times you kind of get lost in what he's actually talking about. So it was nice to to hear from Johnson, but also nice to hear him touch upon things like grassroots as well as Sydney Club Rugby and Brisbane Club Rugby and seeing how how the competition is going from strength to strength. And he was certainly acknowledging that. That's Michael Michael Checker has done that a lot in the past. Clearly both those two gentlemen played a lot of time in these competitions. So that's, that's encouraging, I think, because he was saying that, look, you don't just become a wallaby because you're playing super rugby. You, mm. you become that through all the things you learn as a as a young kid growing up and having coaches teach you the the right things, but also as a player um, taking it upon yourself and showing a bit of ownership and, and making sure that you're contributing and not just leaving it to the responsibility of the coach. That's right, and and wanting to get better players, wanting to get better at any level is something that he spoke about the importance of as well. Um, we did ask him about Israel Folau, and I think it's interesting as we sit here recording the podcast, within the next 24 to 48 hours, we're expecting the verdict uh, on Israel Folau's future to be handed down uh, with the Code of Conduct hearing. Well, he was found to have uh, been guilty of a high-level breach, so I guess the the fallout from that will be known in the next 24 to 48 hours. One thing uh, that I managed to ask Scott Johnson was, out of all of this, you step back and you go, what is the most unfortunate, disappointing thing out of this whole Israel Folau saga for Australian rugby. This is what he had to say. That we're not talking about rugby. That's the most disappointing thing. I mean, I, last week probably epitomised it for me where 
we had you know, such a successful under-20s campaign uh, and, and defeating New Zealand for the first time in such a, such a long period. Um, we had the Brumbies had a good win, the come-from-behind win, and rugby's not spoken about. And that's the most frustrating thing, where everything that appears to be you know, a negative or a slant about an individual or a comment about the individual. We're about the game. We're rugby people. We want to talk about the game. And, um, you know, we, we should be proud of our game. It's, a, it's an extensive worldwide game, but uh, at the moment we're not talking about it. It's interesting, isn't it, that uh, he sort of articulated what we're all thinking, that every uh, column inch seemingly over the last few weeks and every uh, moment on radio and, and a lot of moments on a lot of minutes on television has been sucked up by the Israel Folau discussion. Yeah, and obviously Christy and I working on the website, um, you know, there's a lot of feedback from the, the Died in the Wool rugby fans on, on Facebook or whatever that please, not another Israel Folau story, want to talk about other stuff, but the reality is this is one of the biggest stories in Australian sport, um, you know, for well, maybe ever, potentially it's got such high stakes, so, uh, you know, you'd be remiss not to be to be talking about it, but of course, um, yeah, everyone is is pretty over it, I think, and, and we will get some clarity soon. The the big next question is, uh, is it seems like the report from the Daily Telegraph that he will be sacked, so the big question is whether or not uh, he appeals that decision. Um, it was interesting, Israel's uh, church sermon at the mm-hmm. weekend, he was almost seemed maybe resigned to it, to it going this way, and you know, the, and the fact that he'd be without a contract, and maybe he he will this time walk away, we just, we just don't know, but um, you know, while no one wanted it to come to this, it, it would be Probably a relief if he if he did um, you know opt not to appeal and, and and just move on now. Yeah, it was interesting that he was talking about financially. Like this is going to be a bit of a stressful period and a bit of a, a different period for, because clearly over the last 13, 14 years of his professional life, he's been paid pretty handsomely, and uh, that's going to be dried up pretty quickly. The well's going to be dried up. So he was expressing that and the uh, the materialistic kind of things that that that. You know, Satan is putting in front of him to, to uh, either go back or to stand by his convictions and his Christian faith and and, and walk away. So it will be interesting. I wonder what what the lawyers will say about that though. And clearly, their end game is to try to uh, get the best to go result round two, possible. Round three, round four. Yeah, yeah. yeah I just think it's so incredibly sad for. Uh, everyone involved, and I remember saying early on, that there's just no winners, and um, the deeper it goes, the longer it goes, the more clear that is. There are just no winners out of uh, out of all of this, and it's sad for a lot of a lot of parties involved. Um, one of the other things that uh, we asked Scott Johnson about was centralisation, and it's a much used term, uh, particularly in reference to the way New Zealand does things. And I remember uh, a year or so ago, even two years ago, there was much talk here. We have to be centralised. The Australian system has to be centralised. We need to do what New Zealand's And more done. recently, Ireland. That's, that, that's right. Yeah. So, so uh, and, and Scotland, for yeah. that matter, where Scott's just come from. Um, so we asked him about that. This is uh, his thoughts on, on that theory. A big part of me coming back, I think that, the, um, you know, we, we talk about centralised programs and models and then we talk about alignment. I don't think, and I, I don't think we can as a country be centralised. I don't think it's... We like the point of differences that the provincial teams bring, but I do believe that we should have an aligned system. Um, you know, one stick doesn't make that much damage, but if you put them all together, it gets a pretty good weapon. And I think that we've got four really good provincial teams that we, if we start working and uh, working together, um, we can um, 
be pretty strong and formidable. So that will then, from all the HP department, form into me and then uh, I'll be working with the provincial teams. So not, uh, not centralisation as such, more alignment. And that has been happening in a big way um, through SNC, through uh, some coaches now with, as Scott said, with Super Rugby teams who are being very cooperative with, uh, with the national body, perhaps more so than ever before. And I think we should say uh, that CAFE has had a lot to do with that as well in terms of putting that system in place. That was one of his big achievements uh, when he was with Rugby Australia, Rod Kafer. But, um, yeah, it's interesting that I think for the first time in a long time you start to get the feeling that although you haven't got Rugby Australia saying you must do this and you must do that, it seems like as a nation we're on the same page. Yeah, I'm still a little bit confused as to where the lines are drawn. Like, where where do you draw the line between alignment and centralisation? What exactly are we trying to achieve there? And, and I was a little bit surprised that uh, that Scott Johnson has pulled back from that. I, I assumed he was going to be working towards that centralised model that uh, that they had in, in Scotland. But he's he obviously knows the Australian scene a lot better than me and then he said, no, there's more positives to let states uh, take, take control of their own destiny still. But to, to me, that I still don't understand why you can't go to full centralisation. Um, I, I, I don't really understand that. Well, does, does full centralisation, though, not mean that, you know, you've almost got the governing body deciding or, or not maybe not deciding, but certainly uh, encouraging and steering players in, in different directions towards different franchises. They can have more and, push and pull. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and in terms of the contracting, I know they have a big say in the contracting now as well for players of national interest, um, but you've also uh, got, in terms of style of play, and that's, I mean, if you're fully centralised, you've got those fingerprints, those sorts of fingerprints are all over the uh, the super rugby bodies. It's not quite to that stage yet, is it? Yeah, yeah. Well, to me, I think it'd just be a more efficient way of doing it. It all boils down to though, unless you've got a CEO that really knows what they're doing, a high performance person that really knows what they're doing, the super rugby coaches all know what they're doing, then it won't work anyway. I guess you need to have, if you've got good messages and, and direction coming from the top down, then then centralisation will work beautifully. If if you don't, then um, then cracks will appear. So, yeah, there's still I guess a few more more questions to to to, to work through there with Scott and, and how this is actually going to look. There, there might actually be a very fine line between. You know, you could almost call alignment centralisation by stealth in a way, yeah. isn't it? He, he probably doesn't want to call it centralisation, yeah. but it, it, you've yeah. certainly got some some push and pull levers there. It sounds to me as well, and I, th- I think you might have heard similar um, reports or, or messages, Nick, that there might have been a bit of pushback from New South Wales rugby even um, about not wanting necessarily to become totally centralised. Mm. Clearly, New South Wales rugby quite a big organisation and maybe maybe they don't see necessarily what Rugby Australia is going on there as, as necessarily in the best interests for, for I, I, rugby. Yeah, and I would say that that's the case for uh, for all the Super Rugby teams. It, it becomes an issue, of course, when, you know, you've got your your um, yearly grants from the governing body to, to the Super Rugby teams and with that comes a fair bit of ability to 
leverage situations in in the national in the um in the state union. So, you know, there, there's certainly influence there. Maybe they just don't want to call it centralisation. Yeah. Yeah, and look, we it, it is on the right path, I think, with some of the results we've seen this year with the guys that were unwanted at the Reds, uh, all finding new homes and all thriving in their new homes. That that was great to see. Um, the work that that Rod Kayford did, um, you know, getting experienced coaches around Brad Thorne at the Reds in particular, these sort of things. So it, it is happening. I guess maybe yeah, centralisation by stealth, if you want to call it that. I I just don't see why it, it, it is seen as such a dirty word and why there's this this fear of it. I guess um, it. it, it probably does come back to you know New South Wales Queensland the traditional powers um, you know worried that maybe their resources are going to get sucked up with, with the Brumbies and the Rebels I, I'm not sure but yeah I'm just not quite sure why it is, is seen in that negative light. One of the other things that we asked Scott Johnson about was his expectations for the World Cup and you know he's clearly got a much longer term vision than just the next few months to uh, to the big tournament that happens in Japan but uh, we yeah we just talked to him about the World Cup coming up. Well uh, First and foremost, it's probably to, to admit that the World Games got closer. You know, I could see this probably being the first World Cup where the winner loses a game. The world's got closer. You look at the pools. Um, there's no real easy game anymore. When the World Cup started in 87, you could pick yep. the yep. semifinals. You could do that. that. Those days are gone. And I think, um, and I always tell the story in 2001, when we, you know, I was coaching Australia in the Lions, we didn't hardly know, we hardly knew the extent of their squad. We had to make phone calls to Britain to find out about every player. These days, you find out their dog's name if you had to. You know everything about them. So the world's got much closer. Cross-pollination of coaches has also affected that. And then you look at the big playing pools up north and the money that they've got. So a couple of the big teams, you know, the usual suspects of England and France, will be formidable. There's no doubt. And then the strength of the Welsh and the Irish and and the Scottish have brought all that closer. So to win it now, injuries will play a part. There's no doubt about it. The injuries will play a part. Um, as was the last World Cup, a bit of luck plays its part. I was on the losing end of that little bit of luck last time, but it will play a, a role in that. Of course. And I think, I think the beauty of it, I think the game has got a little copycat, um, I think. Sure. Sides are playing very, very similar around the world these days. So for the Wallabies to be competitive, I think if we try something different and play a little bit different, I think we've got the players that could do that. Michael's trying to do something a little different, which is good. I think the team that actually can uh, control the ball on their terms will win this tournament. That's what it will be. It won't be an individual play, I don't think. So Scott Johnson there talking about uh, his expectations for the 2019 Rugby World Cup in Japan. Uh, just as a side note, I've tried to find out some of the uh, the best players in the world, the names of their dogs. It's not as easy as might be suggested. <laughs> um, but uh, he's talking a couple of things there. He's talking about Michael Checker wanting to play in a slightly different way to what we've become accustomed to from the Wallabies over the last few years. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, well, Check's alluded to it a few times now, this... Uh mystery game plan that he's cooking up um, playing against the Randwick Colts and whatnot we probably should be digging around Randwick a bit more to find out what they're doing but yeah he's taught this up a bit now so he needs to I guess deliver on on, on a game plan that, that is effective um, and, and you know whether he shows his hand in the rugby championship like you can't you can't just immediately roll out something new at the World Cup without having tested it a bit so um, yeah fascinating to see what they come up tactically there. Well, it was only near on, nigh on four years ago that, that Czech held back 
with the pooper combination for as long as possible. And I wonder whether or not there's any kind of synergy there. He, he didn't do that until that first let us load. The reverse pooper this time maybe. Well, yeah, who, who, who knows? But I dare say that um, there'll be a couple of different things. But Matty Tamur today when he arrived at the Rebels, he, he touched upon how how open all the positions are. And he was asked about, oh, are you keen to play 10 you know, with, with your Wallabies ambitions mm. and ended up saying, well, look – yeah, but every every position is totally open, and probably every position at the Wallabies too. So, well, you, you wrote a piece last week, of course. What three three positions you thought were completely locked in? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, and you know, you probably think I said three players: Guinea, Hooper, or Otter. Yes, but, yeah. yes, and, and clearly Samuel Karevi, I think, would be in the discussion as to, at, but whether or not that's at twelve or thirteen, that's not yet known. And and there's a couple of others. Alan Alatoa is probably locked in. You'd call it close to, but clearly Kepu and and uh, Taniela Tupo are great candidates too. Maybe Falea Fianga, but there's 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 so many positions open, and whether or not you can experiment with your game plan. And can you experiment with all these players when you've got five tests before your first World Cup match against Fiji? Geez, you don't have much time, do you? No. Uh, and as much as that's a really interesting scenario that all those positions are open, ideally in a World Cup year, you, you wouldn't have that as as the case. You'd you'd want to know. Uh, you'd want to be a little bit more prepared. I think so. That's you know that's the that's the byproduct of having a disappointing year before the World Cup. Maybe, you know, you do throw the, the pack up in the air and see how the cards land in, in the in the World Cup year. The other thing that um, Scott Johnson said was he wants Australia to be, and this is a long-term project, wants Australia to be known as the smartest rugby nation in the world again. They used to be, or we used to be, um, but perhaps not the case over the last, you know, decade or so. We spoke about that off air afterwards on, on Saturday night with Rod Kafer and tried to get a bit more clarity about what it was once upon a time that why the Wallabies were so far far ahead. And it was interesting that he was saying that it's not just the coaches that are coming up with these tactics. They were players. Mm. A lot of it was player-driven going, you've got some very smart people there and it wasn't necessarily George Gregan and Stephen Larkham who are two outstanding players of their generation, but other guys that are contributing with different ideas around defence systems about getting John Magulton in uh, from from rugby league to, to work with defence structures and technique and then... Ben, David, David Knox. Yeah, yep. so interesting what Scott Johnson's comments were. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, that was a golden generation that Australia had um, with its players and, and they were, by the sounds of it, driving a lot of that, that game plan. So you, you can't click your fingers and replicate that sort of um, IP amongst the players. But, yeah, I just just even laying it out, having that ambition to, to think outside the square, to to prioritise, I guess, uh, you know, tactics and, 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 and new ideas, fresh ideas, just encouraging. You, you need, I guess, to be willing to let guys fail if you, you're going to do then I think this next World Cup cycle um, that, that Scott Johnson, that's what he's going to be judged on rather than, than this World sure. Cup. That's, that's yeah. not his thing. So, yeah, I, I'd love to see, particularly when, when the stakes aren't quite so high after this this World Cup, um, yeah, let, let, you know, let's get the, the best brands in Australia together and come up with some new tactics. And another thing that, uh, that Scott has identified as being a, a key to the next World Cup cycle, and this is something that he's working really hard on at the moment, is trying to make sure that the 24, 25, 26-year-old players mm. don't go and think, okay, well, I'm going to go for three years. I'm going to go to Europe. I'm going to cash up and then come back in time for the next World Cup. His point is you cannot build uh, a long-term plan if you've got 
key men coming in and out of the system. Let's let's keep all those. Find a way to keep all those players here. Identify the next generation. So it might be you know half a dozen or so, um, for want of a better term, kids out of the under twenties who have just done so well against uh, the Kiwis. Lock them in. And then, so here's here's the basis of your plan for the next five or six years, rather than chopping and changing every twelve months or every every contract cycle. Easier said than done, though. Sure, isn't it? sure. Yeah. But it's it's not a it's not a bad ambition. Oh, it's a great idea. And and, and it's someone who's sitting there with a big picture idea, um, being able to sort of step back from the day to day, be strategic, be long term, and and think about what do we want Australian rugby to be over the next five or six years, over the next decade. Yeah, yeah. with the player contracting stuff, I mean, they certainly are aware of that, but that's why there was so much blowback um, regarding the, the Falau and the Hooper long contracts because people could say, hey, uh, you know, are these guys actually going to be key parts of the, the next World Cup? So, yeah, the reality is they just don't have the money to keep all these guys. Um, we see it in New Zealand, South Africa. They're losing players by the dozens. It's, it's, it's really, really tough, and, and clearly you do need to, to pay top dollar to keep, to keep your, your best players. But, yeah, I think now that's particularly with this under-20 team, that let's see how they go at the World Championship, mm-hmm. but if they um, put up a good uh, performance there, then, you know, locking away the, the core of those players could be huge potentially for the next World Cup. I, I do want to stress the point. I, I get, as a, none of us have played for Australia or even super rugby level, but you do. I don't, I don't think you even had to yeah. state that. I, yeah. think. I don't even know if you played rugby at all, Christy. <laughs> <laughs> With all due respect. With legs. <laughs> but, but, I, I, you do look at it at times and go, if a player is prepared to leave at 24, 25 and forego that opportunity to play for Australia if they haven't got 60 tests or, or whatever the number is mm-hmm. or if it might change, do you really want them in the country uh, I, I, at all? Like there there are some players that have played 20 or 30 that, or 40 that could foreseeably stay for another two years and then play for Australia later. It seems to me odd at times. I know it's financially you've got to look after yourself and your family, etc. but... You, I think you really want players wanting to stay for the gold jersey. Yes, but but that desire can sometimes be um, be helped by success of the program. You certainly don't see, and I and I I know that a number of All Blacks, obviously, clearly, Lima Sapuanga being one of them, you know, goes overseas and 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 decides, okay, well, I'm probably not going to, you know, achieve my dream of being a long-term All Black, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pull the pin. Um, there's a number of Australians I, I think probably go because maybe they don't have the belief in the long-term success of the Australian system of, mm. you know, okay, you know, can we can we really win a World Cup? Well, I don't know. Well, I'm I'm not going to stick around and find out. I'm going to go. You know, so if, if you believe that the Wallabies have a winning culture and a winning system yep. um, and, and have potential long term, maybe you're more likely to stick around and want to be a part of that. Oh, 100%. I think that's what Scott Johnson was getting at. And yeah... The Wallabies is one thing, but also just more success at Super Rugby level. Like yeah. if, if you were part of that Reds team in, in 2011, I mean, having having the time of your life playing expressive rugby and and winning, then then you, you're going to think, okay, um, I, I'm willing to take a pay cut, and rather than living in the you know the, the cold of North of England or wherever, um, it's it's not such a bad place to stay. So yeah, it's it's I guess Scott Johnson selling and the coaches as well. If, if they know they're going to be well coached, if they're going to be um, develop, developing their game, um, improving their game. Game, then they're, 
know, they're far more likely to stay as well. So I think that, yeah, that's clearly Scott Johnson's job, creating that environment. And the footnote to that is you, you probably need people like um, Will Genia uh, and like Sokopi Kepu and perhaps our very own Drew Mitchell, for example, who all openly say, hey, the whole European thing, not necessarily cracked. Uh, not necessarily what it's cracked mm. up to be. Yep. That that it's not. It's not all glitz and glamour. Well, uh, Lemus Opelanga has found that out this year. Yeah. yeah. So oh. so let's spread that message a little bit and give some of the players who are uh, thinking about packing their bags. Give them pause, uh, reason to, to think again, and, and have a second thought about that. And um, got to move on. Um, Dane Hale at Petty, uh, he, he's a player that clearly uh, Australian rugby wants to stick around for as long as, uh, as, long as he can. Um, doing so well since coming back from injury the last couple of weeks for, for the Rebels and maybe it's uh, no coincidence that uh, a change in fortune for the Rebels has been linked to, uh, to his return from injury. Um, let's have a chat with the Melbourne Rebels captain, Dane Hale at Petty. Listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. Dane, thanks very much for joining us on the Fox Rugby Podcast. You're on a, a day off or a training free day at least. Uh, what have you been up to today? Hey guys, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I've had just a lot of recovery, um, massage this morning, um, some ice baths, and uh, then this afternoon, um, not too much. Jeez, that, that sounds t- tough. It's a tough life, isn't it? <laughs> tough life. I, I do have a promo for, for the Rebels tonight, so I'm working tonight. Back uh, on the fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Mate, how, how is the body? Obviously a long time out with, with injury. Um, yeah, how, how did you come through the, the first hit out? Uh, not too bad. I was definitely I'd, just bumps and bruises. Uh, pretty sore over the weekend. Uh, we, we played the Friday night game, so luckily had two days off Um over the weekend to recover, but yeah, it's it's, it's feeling much better now. Uh, but you know, it's pretty bruising, Super Rugby. So just kind of body getting used to it again. Yeah, does it take a couple of weeks to come back? Because clearly you missed uh, what six about five, six, six rounds. So does the body take a little while to adjust to it, to actually what you, you're going through? Yeah, definitely. I think even after the six rounds um, was really pushing. Uh, to get back to play, so that's a it's a pretty short loading. I think I went from not running at all to to playing probably eight or nine days later. So the body definitely takes a bit of a hit, uh, and different things get tight different days. So every every day seems to be something new, but pretty much every day I feel better and better now. So our first game played sixty uh, and got through that, and then on the weekend obviously got through a full eighty. So pretty happy. And what's it been like around the club the last couple of days? A bit better feeling, I imagine. It's always nicer to have a win. Do you feel like you're back on track? Yeah, definitely. Obviously, much better having a win. Uh, we're happy with the way we played. Uh, there, were, there were a lot of positives out of the game. I think the, the Reds are a much better team than they were when we played them four or five rounds earlier. And they were obviously on a bit of a high. They're, they're going all right. So I think we feel like yeah, we, we are probably back on track in, in a sense. Uh, we probably lost our way a little bit, became a little bit one-dimensional for a couple of weeks and that's definitely not how we play and with the, the, the talented group that we've got. And, uh, so probably the last two weeks has been about trying to find our game and we've we've done that in parts. But I think the the, the exciting thing is we, we definitely haven't put a full game together yet. So that's still the, the, the hope. 
Yeah, some encouraging signs, certainly from Friday against the Reds. What's what's Dave like in those situations? Because I'm sure he would have been fuming a week earlier over in Wellington. And then if things are a little bit more comfortable against the Reds on, on, on Friday night. So are you able to just tell us what the coach and, and you as a captain, what the messages are at half time, or, or even just before you run onto the field? I think um, one of the big things we probably took from the Waratahs week was we just weren't resilient enough under a bit of pressure. We, we obviously started well there and should have closed the game out and, and end up losing that. And that was a focus heading into the Hurricanes. And we obviously started poorly, but it was just an, a big opportunity for us to probably come under as much pressure, pressure as we're going to come under in the comp and to be able to stay in it and fight. And uh, I think so while we were disappointed with that Hurricanes week, there was a huge amount of positives to, to come out of it. We played some really good footy, uh, probably uh, were on top for a good part of that game, but um, probably uh, couldn't quite come away with it. And so we, we took that into the, the Reds week and, uh, yeah, we talk about plus oneing and just getting a little bit better and we were more resilient. Uh, again, obviously the Reds, a good team, a lot of talent and put us under pressure in different periods and I thought we managed that quite well. So uh, we know when we're, when we're on top, uh, we're good and now we're working on when we're under a bit of pressure, we can still be good. And made a, a big name new arrival to the club this week in Matty Tamua. Uh, I think a little bit ahead of schedule. Um, a, a lot of talent already in that back line and he just adds to it. So how do you think he'll fit in? And, and secondly, uh, how's Quade Cooper, um, the, the spot he may be taking? How's Quade uh, shaping up after that nasty knock? Uh, well, it's great to have Matty. Obviously, uh, I think he uh, has come early. Uh, credit to him. He was, he was desperate to get back here. Obviously, a World Cup year, wants to uh, play for the Rebels, prove himself. Um, and so that's awesome to have him. Obviously, very talented player to add to, to the mix. And we've got a very talented backline already. And uh, quite obviously, the, the hit uh, wasn't great. Uh, didn't look good on TV, but he was pretty good the next day. And uh, he, he'll be back at training tomorrow. So he should be fine this week. And Matty will hopefully get a few minutes at the end and, uh, yeah, get him going. How's the dynamic in the back line? You touched upon it, Sammy touched upon it as well. There's lots of depth and talent in there. So, and as you say, it's a World Cup year and, and you look at it, Matty Tamur is the Wallabies incumbent. It sounds a little bit silly because he hasn't spent a whole heap of time there for the Wallabies, but I'm sure Matt Tamur probably wants to play 10 and, and Quay's obviously uh, been filling the role so far this year. So how do you see everything playing out? Well, uh, probably suits the environment that, that Dave's created and, and all the boys have uh, really uh, grown here in Melbourne. One of our things is just compete for everything. So I think that it's probably made us a better backline, having so many good players always pushing each other. You can't afford too many days off or a, or a bad game. And uh, Matty Tamu is just going to add to that. Obviously, he'll be pushing Quaid and they can fight it out for that spot. And I think the big thing is Matty Tamu is very versatile. He's played all over. So... Um, yeah, it'll be good to see them battle out and just like we've been doing since the preseason and through the through the season. Speaking about uh, playing all over, that's something that you've done. Um, Durban originally and, and then to Perth and Perth to Biarritz, Biarritz to Japan, Japan to Perth and then Perth to Melbourne eventually. that's It's quite a rugby journey. Now you're on the brink of uh, a super rugby final series without getting too far ahead of ourselves, Dane. But don't, 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 <laughs> don't jinx it. it. Um, but yeah, how, how are you feeling about things? You must be like really excited. It's like a, a career that's kind of led to this, right? 
Well, for sure. I think that's a, the amazing thing about our, our game being global. You get to do travel the world and um, play different styles of rugby, meet different people. And um, it's definitely been a, a journey and learnt a whole lot in every single place. And uh, But I'm really loving being here and in Melbourne at the moment. We've got such a, we've got a, I suppose, world-class coaches who are um, building a world-class environment and you've got some of the best players in the world. So uh, it's pretty exciting. Uh, obviously, uh, the hardest provincial competition in the world probably and uh, you, you can see how close it is. I reckon this is probably the closest year ever where if you're off, uh, someone beats you So, and it could be anyone. So, um, But yeah, we're really enjoying um, the time in Melbourne and uh, where we're at. I think we're, we're happy with where we're at and we've got a good run home and um, now it's up to us to kind of make the most of it. And of course, you've got the C beside your name this year, Dane, the, the leadership responsibilities that, that Dave entrusted in you. How have you found that responsibility? And I guess, what, what have you tried to achieve and, and, and drive with, with um, the, that role? Uh, it's definitely been a, a good challenge, pushed me outside of my comfort zone. Uh, probably uh, in the past, maybe sat back too often and a little bit quieter in the group. And so I had to, had to push myself outside of my comfort zone there. But I, I've actually really enjoyed uh, the captaincy so far and I felt like I've, I've probably grown in the role um, over the, the five or six games that, are, that I've done the job. And uh, I think we've got such a good leadership group that I'm, I'm just kind of learning uh, when's it my time to talk and when do I need to pull on other people and um, what's needed when. So, uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. And uh, I think Dave, we, Dave and... Uh, We've got another uh, performance coach, Tom, who works a lot with me. It's just to try and kind of help me in that role. Yeah, right. Okay. Is there is there anyone else that you you look for in terms of the captaincy? Do you speak to past leaders? Like, there, well, there's a lot of obviously great Australian captains that have captained the Wallabies and so forth. So, is it just that that person, Tom, that you speak to, or do you go outside the square a little bit? Uh, so, Tom Tom helps me. Uh, I've also got a sports psychologist. Um, I work a lot with, uh, and then obviously uh, Dave, being a fairly young coach but a very good leader, uh, I've learned a lot from from Dave. But it's definitely something like I'm obviously very early uh, on in in my captaincy journey or my leadership journey, and uh, it'll be something that I'm definitely do is draw on other people and learn from from other people. Do you have ambition to, you know, obviously captain of the Rebels, you, you want to stay in, in that role. Do you have ambition to maybe be a leader at a, a higher level, the Wallabies? I suppose I definitely would like to support Hoops probably more than I have in the past. Uh, I think probably we as a leadership, as leaders or leadership group could have maybe uh, helped Hoops out a little bit more. Um, it's probably an area of growth for us and uh, I suppose for me uh, now knowing what it's like at a super rugby level uh, could probably offer a little bit more support to him. How, how does that look? What in, in what way? What, what, what do you mean by that? Well, I suppose everyone has their strengths and weaknesses and uh, I know at the Rebels, uh, Willie's a great motivator. Uh, Quaid's a great rugby mind. Um, we've got some guys that bring a lot of energy, like Billy Meeks. So uh, just trying, I suppose for me, is learning when we need uh, someone's strengths and when to kind of try and draw on someone. And um, I suppose for us at the Wallabies, it's about uh, all of us bringing our strengths together and um, trying to yeah, lead the team to, to be more successful. 
It's a fascinating discussion. You could talk about leadership for a, for a long while. Whilst we're on the just talking about the Wallabies, clearly, and you've already touched upon it with the, the World Cup year, it's an exciting one for a lot of people. But for you, not being there in 2015, I'm sure you've got great ambitions to, to be there later this year, but also to hopefully wear the number 15 jersey. Uh, like, Just tell us the differences. I, I'm sure you're going to tell us, yeah, there's a lot of guys that are in the running for the fullback jersey, so you've just got to finish the Don't year. Don't answer the question for it. Got to yeah, finish yeah. the year well, but but tell <laughs> us why. answer for me. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Why, why do you like playing fullback more so than on the right wing? I actually I enjoy both, uh, just because they are quite different. I suppose um, I enjoy on the wing. You get a fair bit of space. You get um, you get to contest for for high balls probably a lot more than you would at fullback. Whereas fullback you probably get to catch a few more high balls. But it, uh, for me at fullback, I, I really enjoy the space uh, encounter. Um, that's probably the biggest thing, especially at Super Rugby level. Um, a lot of teams will, will kick you the ball, and it's uh, you just never seem to be out of the game. It's hard to kind of get out of the game. So uh, there's, there's strengths and weaknesses to, to both positions. But, um, uh, yeah, I enjoy both, I suppose. Yeah, they've become very interchangeable, haven't they? And it's a bit ironic that you've played pretty much all your Super Rugby at fullback, but most of your your international rugby on the wing. Um, what sort of things are you hoping to add to your game? Um, I know that I'm sure even at your level of experience, you'll still be trying to add things to game uh, to your game. And I think the World Cup, everyone's assuming that it's going to be um, you know a lot of box kicking and and, uh, and and high pressure stuff. But do you actually see it playing out that way? Um, I I do see it playing out out that way. I think um, the European teams are, are just so good at that at the moment um, and and they are uh, playing some really good footy, so you've got to think that they're going to be right in the mix. Um, I think defence is going to be a huge part. Uh, obviously, it's actually important, but the defensive side of the game, especially with the Europeans defending really well and putting such a big emphasis, I think it's going to be crucial as well heading to, to the World Cup. Um but I think it's the exciting thing is probably the closest World Cup uh, it's ever been. Like every every single team in the top ten has beaten each other in the last couple of years. So um, yeah, I think it'll be uh, a huge huge World Cup. Yeah, September twenty, uh, that kicks off, and luckily uh, Aussies will be able to see that on Fox Sports now. Um, when you uh, are captain of a team, I imagine things get pretty intense, and and you you know you're asked to step up in all facets for the club, and it's important to have a bit of balance. Um, just tell us about y- your charity work that you're doing at the moment, because I know how passionate you are about it and, and what it means to you. Yeah, so. I, um, I'm an ambassador for Endangered Wildlife Trust uh, over in South Africa and uh, been looking for different ways to try and help them out and get involved and create a bit of awareness. Um, I think there's some pretty uh, crazy reports about wildlife numbers dropping 60% in the last 40 years. And if we continue the way we're going, there's not going to be much wildlife left in the world. And I suppose for me, um, being born in South Africa, my passion is probably more um, towards African animals and uh, my cousin works for Endangered Wildlife Trust and so we've been looking at different ways to try and raise a bit of money and so we've put a raffle together and Australian rugby's really got behind it and some of the rebels, uh, we obviously spent a bit of time there uh, for our on, on safari earlier on in the year uh, so all the boys got involved with some conservation work um, which was great 
and and now we're promoting the raffle. I think the first prize is a trip to South Africa, uh, luxury safari, followed by uh, a game, Wallabies versus Springboks. So for any rugby fan, uh, it's a huge opportunity. And then second prize is a trip to Perth that sold out Bledisloe. So we're, we're yeah, like I said, Australian rugby's got behind it and the Rebels have got behind it. And we're hoping basically that the whole rugby community get on board and, and support it and hopefully someone wins a very special trip. And the most important thing, how do we grab a ticket? So you can grab a ticket online. It's all online. Um, Rafflelink, www.rafflelink.com.au forward slash wallabies. And there's a bit more there about, about what we're trying to do, uh, what the money's going towards, and, yeah, opportunities to buy tickets. There's obviously more prizes there uh, as well. Uh, I think MJ Bale have come with a, a tailored suit package and we've got some signed wallaby jerseys, so there's all sorts of things going on. That's great stuff, mate. And just one uh, final curly one for you. If you were um, lost alone in the South African wilderness, <laughs> which, which Rebels teammate would you most like to have by your side to, to get you through some precarious situations? I think probably Jack Tom Maddox. English. <laughs> Jack Maddox would be pretty funny, but Tom English, is, he's, uh, he's always positive. I think he'd probably get anyone through it. Oh, Very nice. good. Who would, who would take all the food? Who would take all the food? Yeah, yeah. Uh, who would take all of it? We got um in our team Pone uh is he's our big um front rower who we we sometimes throw at number eight to to run over teams. So I think he's probably taking all the food. <laughs> he he is a big unit. Hey um Dane, terrific to have a, a chat with you and and obviously uh, some really exciting times ahead for you personally, but for for the Rebels over the next you know month to perhaps even six or seven weeks, there's uh, a lot of good stuff to come. So we wish you all the very best of luck. Yeah, thanks very much, guys. Dane Hallett-Petty uh, doing some good work in his land of birth, so terrific to see him involved in that. I always like seeing uh, the players having that little extracurricular activity, so um, he's obviously thoroughly enjoying that. Um, what about Dane Hallett-Petty at fullback, or is it Tom Banks at fullback, or is it Kirtley Beale at fullback, assuming that everything we hear about Israel Folau's future is correct, um, who, who are you leaning towards? Yeah, well, I think I touched on before. For me, it's Hale at Petty for sure, at least until the World Cup. I think Banks' time will come after the World Cup and I think Kirtley Beale's the ideal super sub at this at this stage, being able to uh, you know watch the game unfold from the, the bench, spot weaknesses and, and defences and, and come on either you know either at 12 or, or at fullback. And, you and taking Tom Banks to the World Cup though? Well, I, I th- as much as I like him, I think he'd struggle to get there because he doesn't have as much versatility as, as the other guys. You need to find room for... I'd probably have Jack Maddox there ahead of him. So I think the, the fact that Banks uh, hasn't really played on the wing or anywhere else, that's going to count against him for the World Cup. Yeah, well, about a month ago when we were doing our Wallaby sides, I had Kurtley at fullback, and that was, I think, even before he had been playing for, for the Tars. And, and, geez, since he's come back, he has been electric and he's actually been very safe under the high ball, which is something that we haven't said about him in the past. But you're right, he, he is an ideal person to bring off the bench, I think, Kurt Lee. And, and you get a better kicking game with Dane Hallett-Petty, don't you? Uh, 
yeah. Than Kirtley. Yeah. No, I disagree with that. Really? Yeah, Kirtley's a very good tactical kicker from the from the back. Yeah, they're both pretty strong there. I think the big decision there is whether or not you play Samu at 12 and Tavita at 13, because if that's the case, then I can certainly see Bernard Foley and Beal combining there at 10 and 15. Um, I think Beal probably shades Taylor Petty with the playmaking role. But clearly, Hayley Petty, if you were to play him at fullback, he's a great option, and I think Jack Maddox would be on the right wing. But... Look, Tom Banks is—he'd be extremely unfortunate if he didn't make the World Cup. I think he will because he's—he's he's another bloke who could wear that twenty-three jersey, and he's scoring tries for fun yeah, at the moment for the Brumbies, and he did so again against the Sunwolves on the weekend. Been in good form over the last few weeks. Um, so, so you've got the Rebels um, and the Bulls on Friday night. Um, touched on that, and the Bulls coming off that uh, shellacking—I like that word—against uh, the Crusaders. They were absolutely. Can you be shellacked? You can, I think. Right. Yeah, I'll get you the spell shellacking after this as okay. well. Okay. Um, I'll think about it in the meantime. Uh, yeah, so they were flogged uh, and they would be, uh, they'd be hurting. Um, they've had a mixed year. Uh, they're still in the hunt in South Africa. There's no doubt about that. Um, can the Rebels beat the Bulls? Yeah, well, they, they should and I think they will and I'd like to think pretty comfortably as well. I, th- I thought the Rebels might actually dispatch the Reds with uh, a, a bit more comfort at the weekend, but they, they got the job done. I guess there will be, if, if Quaid can't go, then the, you know there'll be a bit of, you know maybe not teething problems, but there'll be a few issues with Matt having to, to learn the calls there. Mm. But yeah, the, we are seeing though that uh, the South African teams are travelling a bit better than they have historically, aren't they? They're, they're coming over without fear and, and knocking over Australian and New Zealand teams. Storm, so. has, Storm has had a pretty good tour. Sharks, Sharks have had a good tour. Very, very good tour, yeah. So they're not, for whatever reason, they're, they're travelling a lot better. But yeah, I think it would be a disaster for the Rebels if they lost this one. Well, it would because the Rebels, of course, haven't beaten a South African team this year too. They probably should have beaten the Lions and they... Yep. Probably should have won the next one too, but uh, then they got smashed against the Stormers. So they will want to prove something, particularly if they get in the finals and they haven't beaten a South African team this year. They will want to have a bit of confidence there. But I agree, their set piece is probably their, their, their scrum has actually exceeded expectations mm. recently, which has really surprised me. And that's probably one of the Bulls' great strengths. So um, clearly, though, uh, the, the Bulls have got some good players there. Dan Vermeulen, what a player he is. He's one of the best back rowers in, in, the, in the world. So they've got some strength there, some firepower there. Uh, and so the Brumbies got the bye this weekend. Uh, the local derby, the uh, traditional rivalry, the Reds and the Tars, that's the 7.30 Eastern game on Saturday night at Suncorp Stadium. Um, how do we – I mean, the, the Tars come back from South Africa, could have won both games, certainly should have beaten the Lions. Uh, and the Reds have got to a point where there's nothing flashy, there's, you know, there's nothing uh, to write home about in, in terms of, you know, the way they're playing the game, but they hang in games. They don't, they don't go away. They find a way to, uh, to still be in the game at the death. Yeah, they deserve a lot of credit for how they've done that consistently. We saw them get, you know, thrashed a few times last season, but even with the young team, they've been fairly consistent mm-hmm. this year, really. So, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of credit to them. The the Tars, they'll be very frustrated because they played a lot of great rugby oh. over there in South Africa um, on, on some hard tracks during the days that they scored. You know, some of the, the best tries you, you, you'll see. So, um, I I think they it won't be easy travelling back, but yeah, I think they've got enough quality there. They've got the complete stranglehold over. Queensland, what's the streak now? About nine games on the trot or something, something like that. Something like that. So, yeah, I, 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 with those experienced Wallabies heads, they, they also should be able to get the job done up there. 
Yeah, speaking of how competitive they've been, the Reds, I think their biggest loss this year is 15 points. The Waratahs' loss, biggest loss is eight points this year. That's just remarkable if you compare like the Reds of 2019 to the last five years. Mm. Like They'd had some huge smashings over the shellackings, as you like to say, Nick. Um, Said it once, but that's all right. <laughs> I, think the, I think the Waratahs, I think, I think they'll just pit them and, and they've been pretty good these last couple of weeks, the Tars, just not being able to get across the line but it's much easier to take a win if you've had a lot of success over them for, for some time and they're clearly, both teams are playing for their playoffs, whoever loses this side's got no chance going forward so. Let's hope Egon second, Seconds doesn't make his way to uh, oh. Suncorp Stadium just quietly, that was pretty, Seriously. That was pretty bizarre. I, was, I, had to, <laughs> I had to stop and replay it, stop, yeah, I saw him Push Ned Hannigan and then and yeah. Malcolm Marks. Uh, sorry, saw Ned Hannigan push him and then Malcolm Marks pushed him out of the way. When he put his hands in the in the, in the rack the the... and basically cleaned out, <laughs> cleaned out Michael, get out of there. He was like a puppy sniffing around a garbage it bin was, or something, uh, trying to get involved. It was it, it was, was, quite, was quite bizarre. It was what strange. Was it? Yeah, it yeah. really was strange. Yeah, Just, uh, I mean, rest... leave leave the penalty count to one side. Yeah. Just being yeah. that. Physically involved was just weird. He's an ex-player, and I think he still wants to be an ex-player. He was really looking to get well involved. Well built, somehow. he looks yeah. fit, mm. no doubt about it. But it might be time for Egon to go back to <laughs> second grade. I think. <laughs> Whilst we're on the subject of the Reds, though, some good news with the redevelopment of a Ballymore yes. basically confirmed now because the federal government has matched. Yep. Labor's commitment of $15 million, yep. which is huge news. Rugby Australia is going to put $5 mil and we believe the state government is also going to put 15 in there. So it's good news for the Reds' training base. The Wallaroos are likely to spend um, time up there and probably have that as their training base. It's potentially going to be used for an Olympic bid in, what, 2032 or so. So uh, that, that's encouraging signs for, for – and hopefully a couple of Reds games will go there in the future because that would be yeah. great to have matches there. Without going too far into it, don't, don't underestimate – I don't think we can underestimate just how important – that is for the future of Queensland rugby. It, it, it is that big um, that it, it is massive. And there are a lot of people uh, at Queensland rugby who have done a lot of hard work over many years, um, you, know, you know, current and, and former administrations to, uh, to put that together and to lobby for that. So um, uh, that, was, that was great news when that came out. Passing con- final comment to mm-hmm. leave us. This has got to be the most competitive Super Rugby season, basically in, in memory. This is ridiculous. What's what it down to? Thirteenth can make it or something? You know, like technically, it, probably it, even deeper than that. Well, the, what the Chiefs? They had one win and they jumped from fourteenth to ninth, I believe. Yeah. So that's how tight it is. Yeah, it is. It is staggering. And so um, clearly, the Brumbies have done well to get five points out, out from their success against the Sunwolves. But a huge weekend of, of rugby to look forward to. No worries. And a huge weekend of marathoning. So good luck with that. Go good luck, carb champion. load. Do you carb load this far out? Uh, I'm doing everything that you can possibly do. Except which training. Is, well, actually, I'm only starting to train now. Oh, yeah, excellent. <laughs> good, 30, good prep. 32 Ks in, mate. Just uh, close your eyes and think of your friends on the podcast. Think of Clarky's intro, the upbeat uh, intro there, and just keep on, keep yeah. on running. Thanks. 